Thank you, Sarah. All right. Those going to the preschool class, you guys are dismissed. And everyone else, I'd invite you to open up to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Uh, well, when you are dating someone or you're courting someone, uh, there's always this thought in the back of your head uh, that's like, I, I wonder how I'm doing, right? Like, I wonder how this is going. I wonder where I stand with this person. I mean, at the very early part of the relationship, it can be a very fragile thing. And so maybe you'll say something that you know, the other person didn't really take that well, and you thought maybe, oh no, like maybe I offended them, maybe they, uh, they don't like what I said, and so there's kind of always this uncertainty, this wrestling that's going on in your brain, uh, at least until you're engaged or you're married or there's some sort of formal commitment, you're always sort of questioning as to where you stand with this person that you like. And so on occasion, you need to have a conversation about just where things are at. Like, let's just be real. Let's lay, you know, where, where are things at? And I, I don't know what young men and young women call it these days, but back in my day, we called these DTRs, right, where we define the relationship, right? And maybe you didn't officially say that, but everyone knew that's what was happening. Oh, they're having a DTR, right? They're just, they're defining the relationship. You, there's times that, that we just have to have those conversations of like, hey, Give me some clarity here. You know, where are we at? Are we just friends? Are we more than friends? Uh, where do things stand between you and I? And really, this sort of thing happens with a lot of relationships, not just romantic relationships. Uh, I mean, we want to know the status of our friendships, right? I mean, maybe, maybe someone's been acting a little strange around us. We want to know, hey, is something wrong? Is there something between us, right? Uh, we we want to know where we stand with our bosses, right? We want to know what our neighbors think of us, right? I mean, are we the weird neighbors or are they the weird neighbors? <laughs> where, where are we at? And there's always kind of this question in the back of our heads of just how am I doing? Where do I stand? Am I approved or accepted in your sight? And church, listen, we, we don't just do this with human relationships, we do this with our relationship with God as well. We think things like, I wonder how I'm doing. I wonder where I stand with God. Now, some of us can become prideful in our thinking when we think about where we stand with God, because maybe this last week has just been, you've just been killing it this week. I mean, you were seven for seven for quiet times. You gave money to someone in need. You practiced Christian hospitality had someone over into your house. Uh, you said, God bless you when someone sneezed instead of just bless you, right? You counted that as your evangelism for the week. And I mean, you were just doing all the right things this week. And so maybe you come in just thinking very just proud of where you're at with God, right? Like you just, you did it, man. You did it this week. You were right with him. But then there are other weeks where we fall into despair when we start to think about where we stand with God. Because maybe this week has not been a good week. Maybe we've done all the opposite of that person, the things that, of that person I just described. And we fall into despair and we wonder if God still 
loves us, if God still accepts us, where do we stand with God? And, and now, depending on your personality, right, some people ask this question to themselves more than others, but, but all of us at some point, we're asking ourselves this qu- these, these questions, I wonder how I'm doing, and I wonder where I stand with God. And by the time you leave here this morning, I want you to know where you stand with God. And I want you to see that it's not based upon your performance of this last week. Because if you've been here the last few weeks, or if you are familiar with the first few chapters of Romans, we're preaching through the book of Romans right now, all right? You know in these first few chapters, God is showing us, as human beings, because of sin, we are not doing well. Right? I mean, hopefully you haven't been too discouraged this last month here, but these have not been like positive, encouraging messages necessarily. These have been hard to hear because we're hearing this news that, hey, in our sin, we are not doing well. All of us rightly stand under the wrath of God. And so if you want to have a DTR between you and the Lord, Paul's trying to help you here through the letter to the Romans. He's trying to say, hey, if you're wondering how you're doing, uh, God says, apart from Christ, you are not doing well. Where do you stand? You stand condemned. That's where you stand. But then we get to verse 21. And you'll notice the first word of verse 21 is the glorious word, but. Right? Verse 21, we have a but God moment. Right? Things were going this way, but God stepped in and saved the day. For those of you who are followers of Christ, you you know this from personal experience. You had a but God moment in your life. Right? I mean, that's a good part of all of our testimonies. We were doing this, we were doing this, but God was working in the background, he was orchestrating all these things, and he did what we could not do. And verse 21 says, but now. Glorious. Glory. If you'd like to write in your Bible, I mean, star the but now. I mean, this this is beautiful. This is making a turn in the letter to Romans. He says, but now. And in these verses that we're gonna look through, God is going to show us that although we were not right with God, God is going to offer us the gift of justification. And it's the best gift you have ever or will ever receive in your life. And so this morning, we're going to see first what this gift is. We're going to see how it is given. And we'll see then how it is received. I shared in the church email, many pastors, theologians believe this is the most important paragraph ever written in human history. Now, I'm not claiming the sermon will live up to that, but if the sermon starts getting dull, just read this paragraph, please. All right? So if I don't have your attention yet, please let that be your guide. uh, Hear this wisdom from people that have gone before us. This is the most important paragraph humanity has ever read. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning overwhelmed by just how glorious and amazing it is. Lord, this truth that I'm about to proclaim, it is, it is too wonderful for my lips to declare rightly. 
It's too magnificent for our minds to even fully comprehend. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us. Help us believe this, Lord. Help us receive it. Help your word do a great work in our hearts and minds. Lord, would you be glorified as we put you front and center. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans 3, verse 21. Let's see what this gift of justification really is. All right, where we in our sin stood condemned in the sight of God. And that's where we're picking it up in verse 21. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, but now the righteousness of God, right? Or maybe more simply put, the rightness of God has been put on display apart from the law. Remember, Paul is writing to some people who boasted in the fact that they possessed the law. And he says, no, God's righteousness has been put on display and shown apart from the law. However, however, he says, the law and the prophets bore witness to it. All right, now that phrase, the law and the prophets, that's that's, that's a way of describing the whole Old Testament scripture, right? The law and the prophets, right? These were always pointing to the gift of justification that was coming, all right? The, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures, were pointing to the gift of justification that was coming. He's saying, hey, this idea of God being righteous and giving the gift of justification, this is not a new idea. This is not replacing the Old Testament, Right? This is fulfilling what the Old Testament taught, which is true of so many things in the Old Testament and New Testament. The, the Old Testament is not replaced by the New Testament, but these things in the New Testament are fulfilling things that were taught in the Old. All right? So not replaced, but fulfilled. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, which we'll have up on the screen, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, speaking of Jesus. Right? That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Right? All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And we'll see this all throughout the book of Romans. Paul is not replacing what the Old Testament thought, taught. He's trying to teach us how Jesus has fulfilled these promises. It's not a replacement. It's a fulfillment. All right? So even this gift of justification, it's not necessarily a new idea. The Old Testament was pointing us to it. So what is the gift of justification? All right, let's start there. What is the gift of justification? In verse 24, you see that it says, uh, he says that we are justified by his grace as a gift. All right, now that word justified, it is a legal word. It's a word that sh uh, was used in a courtroom. Paul's trying to put it in terms, right, that we can understand, that we can imagine and picture, right? So picture yourself in a courtroom when we start talking about words like justifying and justification. 
See, he's trying to help show us that God does serve as a judge, and in our sin, we stand condemned in his sight. The word condemnation is the opposite of justification, if that helps your understanding, right? Condemnation and justification. Both words are legal declarations. You are either condemned by God or you are justified by God. And so what does it mean to be justified by God? Well, what it means is to be justified by God means to be declared righteous in God's sight. To be declared righteous in God's sight. It's when God, the judge, looks at you and declares that you stand right with him. And this declaration, it is all by God's grace, right? We see that in verse 24. It's all by God's grace, his undeserved favor. It is a gift. It's a gift. He's saying it's not something we can work for. It's not something we can earn. It's all by the grace of God. It's all a gift of God. Now the question is, does the person who thinks they're doing really well with God need it? Or does the person who's despairing of their failures need it? The answer is, we all need it. We all need this gift, right? And if we've, because if we've forgotten everything we've just learned previously in Romans, he reminds us here in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned, right? We all, in our past, have missed the mark set by God and his law. We all have a common past, right? We have all turned from God's ways with our actions, attitudes, or thoughts. All have sinned. He then also goes on to say, and we all, now this is written in the present tense, present tense, we all fall short of the glory of God. Right? This is a present reality for all of us. This is our daily experience. We come up short of the glory of God's majesty and moral perfection. No matter how great of a week you had, you did not measure up to the glory of God this week. We have all fallen short of God's glory. And we all, I think, deep down, know this. We have this God-given feeling of unworthiness a sense that things are not right between us and God. Now, there's lots of things we try to do to distract ourselves from that, right? There's lots of uh, uh, therapy and counseling we go to kind of like try to quiet that voice that we feel. But I think, I think we all deep down know that, that in our sin, we are not right with God. And oftentimes in our sin, our natural response to those feelings of unworthiness is to try to justify ourselves. We have this sinful, reactive response to life that feels like we must justify ourselves. I mean, walk in on a child doing something they're not supposed to do, right? And it, it, now, if they're really young, they're going to go run and hide in shame, okay? Or close their eyes and think you can't see them. But if they're a little older and they can use words, this is what they'll do. They'll try to justify themselves before you. I mean, 
and this doesn't just happen in childhood, call out a politician on either side of the aisle on a past mistake, and very rarely do you see anyone own up to past mistakes, right? They will seek to justify themselves. We see this in in medicine when I worked in the hospital, right? Very rarely anyone's going to confess or own up to a mistake. They're going to justify themselves. We see this in the church. We see this amongst all of us, this sense to justify ourselves. This is how humanity, apart from God's intervention, operates. We seek to justify ourselves. Things are not right. Deep down, we know it. But let me plead with you this morning. Do not waste your life trying to justify yourself. Because you cannot do it. Your defense will not hold up in God's courtroom. But now, this is God's gift to you. That through no merit of your own, God declares you to be right with him. This this gift of justification, it, it solves the biggest problem that you have. I mean, some of us think so little of God's kindness because we don't see just how great his grace is because we don't realize that this was the biggest problem we had. We stood condemned in the courtroom of God. I mean, we think we have bigger problems than that. That is your biggest problem, (laughs) right? We we think our biggest problems are our anxiety or our depression, right, or our self-esteem. We think our biggest problems are our broken relationships in this life. We think our biggest problems are maybe our addictions or our bad habits. We think the biggest problems we have are corrupt politicians. Church, the biggest problem we have is that we stood condemned in the courtroom of God. But look what a gracious gift this is. God has taken the biggest problem you have and given you a gift of grace. Through faith in Jesus Christ, he has declared you to not just be not guilty, but to be righteous. The gift of justification is that he has declared you to be right with him. The question, though, is how how can this be? (laughs) Because here's the problem with the gift of justification. If if you've got questions coming to your head, that's that's good. There's a problem here. How can God be just and declare unrighteous people righteous he's just told us and i've just you know told you the last month that we are all unrighteous how can he declare unrighteous people righteous and not be a liar and not be a like does he have dementia has he forgotten how can this be and so we now have to understand how this gift of justification can be given? How can God give this gift and still be righteous himself? All right? Look back at verse 24, chapter 3, verse 24. It says, And are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, so let's, let's try to understand how God can give this gift through two words that we see in these verses, redemption and propitiation. And just a brief comment, I realize we're using some churchy theological type words this morning, and, uh, and I think that's okay. I, I used to be all about trying to find new, more relevant words that you could easily relate to all the time, but, but I think with how, how, what's happening at a rapid pace where so many people in our culture are taking words and they're redefining them and twisting them, it, it, it gets complicated with some of these current relevant words. I, th I think it's actually okay to preserve some of these churchy theological words, right? They don't get used and abused as much as some other ones do, okay? So I realize justification, redemption, and propitiation are three words that uh, they are important words, but they take some digging for us to define and really understand. But I think the, the treasure of truth they hold is, is, wor is worth the, the digging, okay? All right, so let's talk about redemption. In a similar way that the word justification is supposed to make you think of a courtroom, the word redemption is supposed to make us think of the slave trade, all right, the slave trade. Redemption was a word that was used to describe a slave who had been purchased in order to be set free, right? Redemption is a word that was used when someone had been purchased in order to be set free. You see, apart from Christ, you are not free. I know you, th you maybe think you are, but you're not. You're in fact actually a slave to the desires of your heart. And they direct every choice you make. Yeah, you've got freedom of choice, but every choice you make is coming from the desire of a heart that is in bondage to living for the glory of themselves. So you're a slave, and you need to be redeemed. We needed to be redeemed. You need someone to pay the price for your sin and rescue you from the enslaving power of sin. And this is one of the things that Christ accomplished when he came to earth. He paid the price for our sin on the cross. And three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death, and he has now rescued us from our enslavement to sin. Jesus has redeemed his people. He has purchased us to set us free. Amen? But that redemption, that that still doesn't explain entirely how God can declare unrighteous people to be righteous and not be a liar, all right? And so this is where we also need to understand the word propitiation, all right? Propitiation. To say that Christ was put forward as a propitiation <coughs> means that Christ on the cross satisfied the wrath of God. Propitiation means the turning aside of wrath through appeasement. The turning aside of wrath through appeasement. Now, 
Now, remember what we learned about God's wrath, right? For those of you that were here a few weeks ago, we talked about God's wrath. God's not like some angry, impulsive, abusive father who's controlled by his emotions, like he's not that kind of a wrathful God. No, we define God's wrath as his, his settled opposition to, displeasure with, and righteous anger against sin, right? That's God's wrath. And listen, you want a God who has a settled opposition to, displeasure with, and righteous anger against sin. The opposite of that would be a God who's indifferent to sin, who's indifferent to the evil that's happening in our world, you, that, that wouldn't be a good and righteous God. God in his wrath has a settled opposition to displeasure with and righteous anger against sin, and we want that until we hear that we are sinners. <laughs> we start to scream for justice, and then we cry for mercy, right? But you see, God here deals with his wrath in such a glorious and gracious and righteous way. He does not compromise his justice, and yet he pours out his mercy and grace and love. No human being could have ever thought this up. This is a love and a righteousness that is far above us. You see, God the Father's wrath was appeased by God the Son willingly coming to earth. And out of love for his people and the glory of God, he allowed the wrath that was meant for us to be poured out on him. Theologian John Stott will have this quote up on the screen. He said, propitiation is the appeasement of the wrath of God by the love of God through the gift of God. So what does this mean for justification? Well, this means that God doesn't declare us to be righteous because he's just swept our unrighteousness and his wrath under the rug. Right? God has not just in the New Testament all of a sudden become indifferent with sin. That would not be a good and righteous God. So God does not declare us righteous because he's turning a blind eye to our unrighteousness. No, what has happened is Jesus Christ has appeased the wrath of God that was meant for us. He's redeemed us from the penalty and power of sin so that first our sins are now forgiven. But we can't stop just there because that's where some Christians just want to stop. And listen, that's only, that's only part of the good news, that God has forgiven us our sin, right? But we can't stop there because it's not as if God just gave us a clean slate and now, hey, the rest is up to us. No, church, that's not the full picture of justification. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, what's called the great exchange has taken place. Christ has taken our sin and the penalty for our sin, and he has given us his righteousness and all the benefits of his righteousness. This is what Romans 3 is teaching us. He's teaching us that there's a righteousness outside of us that has to come to us through faith in Jesus Christ. This is not a righteousness that can be mustered up inside of us. This is not a righteousness that can be, you know, worked out, you know, for us to obtain it. It has to be a righteousness outside of us that comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so now the reason we can be justified is because Christ's righteousness has been imputed or credited to our account. Paul speaks of this to the Philippians in Philippians 3 verse 9 where he says, And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Listen, you can't obtain a righteousness on your own. You need a righteousness that comes from God through faith in Christ. You need the righteousness of Christ. You see, all through Romans, he's been showing us we are not righteous. We need a righteousness outside of us to come be applied to us. And this is not a new idea for Paul. Paul's saying that the law and prophets bore witness to this. They were pointing to it as well. For example, Isaiah 53, 11, right? Speaking of the suffering servant who would come. Isaiah says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. You are not the righteous one, but Jesus is. He came to bear our iniquities and to make many to be accounted righteous. You see, we needed a righteousness to be credited to us. And this is how the gift of justification can be given. God can call unrighteous people righteous when he credits the righteousness of Jesus Christ to us. For Jesus was the true and perfect Israelite who upheld the law completely. Jesus is the only righteous one. He lived the perfect life of obedience that Adam and Eve and every human being since has failed to live. And then he was the perfect sacrifice that could be offered up in our place in order to provide us the redemption and the propitiation that was needed for our justification. You see, on the cross, God's mercy and love and grace combined with God's justice so that God could be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Church, do you see the glorious grace of the one who is just and also the justifier? I mean, the one you deserved to hear a declaration of condemnation from has made a way for you to be justified instead of condemned. For the one whose faith is in Jesus Christ, God declares you to be righteous. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> we've, seen, we've seen what the gift of justification is. We've seen how God gives this gift. But we must also see now how it is received. Look back at Romans 3, verse 27. He says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. 
Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. You see, a justification that is given by God's grace as a gift really leaves no room for human boasting. It leaves no room for a righteousness that rests upon our performance last week. You see, he's teaching us here that the gift is not received by works. It's received by faith. Both Jew and Gentile are justified by faith. And we'll see in the next chapter in Romans 4 that that Abraham and David are examples of Old Testament saints who were justified by faith. It was through faith that they were counted righteous. Now, it's not as if good works have been completely removed from the equation, but instead they are to be understood as the fruit of our justification instead of the means by which we receive our justification. Paul's saying, hey, we're not overthrowing the law. We're not disregarding the law and the prophets. These things are actually being fulfilled through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Obedience to the law is now being fulfilled through followers of Christ who've been justified by his grace, who've been redeemed and set free from their sin. But here's a clarifying thing about faith, all right? In different places, God's word speaks of us being justified by faith and justified through faith, but never justified because of our faith. And that's an important distinction because we must not view our faith as something that causes God to have to justify us. It's all by God's grace. It's all a gift from him, even our faith. Faith is the instrument by which we receive justification, but Christ and Christ's work alone is what has accomplished our justification. Faith in and of itself does not save. It's the object of our faith who saves, church. I mean, talk with people when you're out and about today. Many people will say that they are people of faith, right? In fact, that is often how I'd bring up meaningful conversations uh, while working at the hospital, right? That was usually the, the, what I would ask people. Just, hey, are, are you a person of faith? It usually helped with the conversation. I, I found that uh, the evangelistic method, at least in the hospital, of asking someone if they were to die tonight, where would they go? Uh, I'm not against that strategy, but when you're holding people's like lab results and you're in a hospital setting... <laughs> It's a bit unsettling for them, okay, to be like, hey, if you're going to die tonight. But, but, but a great way was just, hey, are you a person of faith, all right? Now, everyone has some sort of faith, and what I mean by that is everyone is trusting someone or something to make things right. Now, if it's a faith in God, if it's some sort of, you know, religion or things they follow, they'll, they'll probably go there pretty quickly and, and talk to you about that. But they might not even think they're a person of faith, but they might talk about politics or money or career or their kids or something else that they don't realize that that's actually what their faith is in. But everyone is trusting in someone or something to make things right. 
And many people do have faith in some sort of God. Some people, a lot of people nowadays will, will describe themselves as, as spiritual, right? But listen, it's not faith in some nebulous supreme being that justifies. It is God who justifies through faith in Jesus Christ. And in order to fully trust, rely, and depend upon Christ, we must let go of and repent of all we have trusted instead of him to make things right. Even our self-righteousness, even our attempts at self-justification. The only way to be justified by God is through faith in Jesus Christ. For he is the only righteous one. He is the one who is fully God and fully man, who left his throne in heaven to come to earth, who lived and died and was raised, who ascended into heaven and is now seated on the throne. The one who one day you will see him for who he truly is. And you will stand in the presence of God and you will either stand condemned or you will stand justified. And today he offers you the gift of justification. We who rightly stood condemned through faith in Christ can now be declared righteous. Righteous. Now I want to I want to leave you as I as I close this down. I want to leave us with with three things that this truth of the justification of being justified with God, what that should produce in us, all right? This gift of justification, yes, obviously it's a glorious truth when you first come to faith in Christ and you experience it for the first time, this declaration that you are now right with God. But what about for those of us, right, that have been walking with Christ for, for years? I'm telling you, there is much to be enjoyed and to chew on and, and, just, and just sit and rest in this gift of justification. So three things, really quickly, that, that this gift of justification should produce in us. Number one, the gift of justification brings us great peace. Great peace. We'll see later in Romans 5, verse 1. He'll write, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what peace the truth of being justified by faith should bring us, right? The God we were once at war with as we competed for his throne, we are now at peace with. And so, yes, if today is the day of your justification, you can experience true peace with God for the very first time. What a glorious day that would be. But even for those of you that have received this gift years ago, you too can experience this peace the gift brings more fully through faith today. Because the more we trust him, the more we'll enjoy this, the more we'll experience this. If we trust the truth we learn today, then when we are trusting in Christ, we don't need to anxiously wonder what our status with God is. When we're trusting Christ, we don't need to trust our feelings more than what God has said is true of us. 
And listen, what God has declared, it is true and it cannot be undone. I mean, how many times do we avoid spending time with God because we think things are not right with him? If you are in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation, only justification. You are accepted and welcomed into the family of God. I mean, think about it. You either have all of Christ's righteousness or none of it. You don't have just like a little bit of it. And if God has justified you, who are you to condemn you? Yes, you are unworthy, but Christ is not. And your faith is in him, not in your performance or how many quiet times you had this week. So enjoy peace with God. Enjoy acceptance with God. Enjoy that you have been adopted by God. And what happens when you enjoy this peace with God, that peace with God should then overflow onto all your other relationships as well. Because listen, when you are freed from having to justify yourself, your relationships with others are going to move towards peace as well. And when, when, the, when the Bible talks about peace, it's also talking, it's talking about a completeness, a wholeness, right? When you are freed from having to justify yourself, your relationships with others are going to be healed. You'll be freed to admit that you were wrong. Sometimes we're wrong. And you can admit that you have blind spots. We all have blind spots. And, and, and you can admit that you've operated in ways that have served to preserve yourself and to justify yourself. You can then also extend forgiveness and grace and mercy towards others who maybe lashed out at you in order to, for them to justify themselves. But if God has made things right with us, this empowers us to make things right with others. The doctrine of justification can bring great peace into our lives, all right? Secondly, the doctrine of justification provides a higher purpose for our lives. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Listen, you were, you were redeemed. You were bought by God for a higher and more glorious purpose than living for the glory of yourself. You have been rescued and redeemed to live for the glory of God. I mean, so many people today, including Christians, feel as if they have no purpose in their lives. And there's this emptiness and incompleteness we have in our soul that can only be fulfilled when we are redeemed by God for a higher purpose. Church, did you know that one day the earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea? And he has chosen us to bring about those ends on his earth. I mean, what a mission. What a purpose. What a joy to be called to something bigger than ourselves. You see, when you experience the doctrine of justification firsthand, you will see that Jesus gave it all and you will be compelled with joy to proclaim, now all to him I owe. I am not my own. I am redeemed and I have been provided a higher 
purpose for my life. Thirdly, the doctrine of justification extinguishes great pride. All right, so let's, let's recap these three here uh, real quick. It brings great peace. The doctrine of justification provides a higher purpose, and it extinguishes great pride, which is good because I want the first two, and I have a lot of the third. <laughs> Need the doctrine of justification. What does verse 27 say in Romans 3? It says, then what becomes of our boasting? There's no boasting in ourselves that can result from receiving the gift of justification. When you are justified by God, there should be no amount of good performance that can puff up your pride because now your work for God is not what is causing him to justify you, but instead it's the fruit flowing from him justifying you and you can give all glory to God. Now your work for God is not not what's causing him to justify you or accept you. Your work from God is now the fruit that is flowing from him justifying you and accepting you. When pride is extinguished, now you can be teachable. Now you can pursue wisdom. Now you can be open to being wrong. Now you can receive criticism and rebuke from others and allow it to refine you and not condemn you. That's something I've had to learn as a, as a young pastor, teaching to a group of people. At first, anytime there was any sort of criticism or correction or anything, I went into self-justification mode, Right? wanted to defend myself, and I didn't actually allow to, to hear those things and to be refined and learn and grow and be sharpened from those things. But when you are resting in the gift of justification, you can receive criticism. You can receive rebuke and know that that does not condemn you. It can now refine you and renew you. When pride is extinguished, you'll be able to cheer on and encourage others. When your pride is extinguished by the, the doctrine of justification, you'll be able to get over yourself. And what a joy that is. It's miserable being into yourself so much. You'll learn contentment. You'll be able to praise God when he gives and when he takes away. Church, it is a miserable and a paralyzing place to be where you are always wondering where you stand with God. And too many brothers and sisters have been paralyzed in their discipleship, wondering where they stand with God. Listen to me. If you, if you trust Christ, you love Jesus, trust what Christ has done for you. And trust Christ's righteousness that now covers you. Trust what Christ has done for you and trust what Christ, that Christ's righteousness now covers you. One of, the, one of the best gifts that Britt gave me came finally on our wedding day where we declared publicly to one another where we stood. I mean, she stood before me and she, she declared some glorious things in her vows. She declared that she was giving herself to be my wife. She declared that now I was her husband. 
and that I would be her husband and that she would remain my wife through joy and through trials, in plenty and in want, in sickness and in health. Which the last few weeks, we've had to remember that. But what a beautiful moment that was, right? Because what that signified was that there were no more DTRs were required after that. I mean, we still had a lifetime of conversations and communion ahead of us, but no more DTRs were needed. I knew, I know where I stand. And church, I want this for you as a follower of Christ. I want you to know where you stand with God. Because what God declares about us is even more glorious and longer lasting than what two imperfect humans declare to each other on their wedding day. And through faith in Jesus Christ, God declares that you are right with him. I mean, what else even matters, right? <laughs> Through faith in Jesus Christ, God declares that you are right with him. May this free us from our impulse to justify ourselves. May this free us from our boasting. And may God give us the faith to believe and trust that Christ's work was powerful enough to justify self-righteous and sinful people like you and I. Let's pray.